We need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Joe, at the start of this year, I kind of made a sort of a, a resolution that I would try not to talk about crazy Christians as much as I had. Well, and, you said that, yeah. Yeah. Cardinal Pell died, couldn't mm-hmm. help myself. And now Opus Day, Premier of New South Wales and all that sort of stuff, it's, it's all in the news. Can't yeah, help yeah, myself. It's, it's all about picking a fight with him and nothing to do with what people need to know about schools. Yeah. So we're going to get into it, but uh, we're going to get into Opus Day and just necessarily more crazy Christians. It's an interesting group, the Opus Day group, so it's worth looking at. We'll do a bit of that. Hello in the chat room to James and Danny who are already there. Say hello as you enter the chat room. Make your comments. We'll try and incorporate them. I had all the good intentions last week, dear listener, of recording a podcast not a live one, but a recorded one, packed all my gear, went down the coast, went to do the recording, pulled it all out and realised I hadn't packed a microphone. And that's difficult to do a podcast without a proper microphone. So hence no podcast last week, but I'll try and do better. Bronwyn's in the chat room. Hello, Bronwyn and Alison. Good on you, Alison. So, ah, right. Joe, Bay. Mm. These, these Christian schools. So... Part of me, like Paul Corners has done a bit of an expose and talking about some of the unsavoury practices that have been going on in the schools that are run by the Opus Dei group. I don't believe it. Mm. And there's been sort of commentary by parents of students who are angry at what's happened. And I just want to say, do you really angry have a right to be... Angry no, angry, angry at... at what had happened in the school. Okay, and it's like yep. You send your kids to an Opus Day school. What did you expect was going to happen? Well, yeah, it was it was a good private school. We didn't think they were going to indoctrinate them. <laughs> yes, we were just sending our kids there to avoid the riffraff well, of exactly. the public school. Yeah, you know, so it's just that that's that's why we were doing it. We can't believe that we've we've had all these other issues crop up. It seems mm. so. I just. I've, I, I lack some sympathy for these people who, who are well, now un- complaining uh, about what happened to their little... Un- unfortunately, the system is so screwed up now mm. that uh, unfortunately a lot of state schools are left with whatever the public schools won't take. The private, mm. Yeah, the private schools won't take. Mm. So there are issues with behaviour and what... You're right in that yeah. it's harder for state schools to get rid of... Unfortunately, because of the huge funding of private schools, it means that what is left in state school is underfunded and generally is less watered down than in other places. What do you mean less watered down? Well, I mean, you have, I don't know, 10% bad kids. Right. If you take all the good kids out of the class, you're left with the bad kids. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so I think the public schools by default have become the catch-all Mm. Uh, and and the private schools are cherry picking the best students. Mm. That's that, all. That's all true. However, if you've got a kid who's capable 
and goes to oh, absolutely. a private school or a public school, their chances are the same in terms of success at school because there are good private and bad private, good absolutely. public and bad private. It depends. And yeah. So anyway, I think you get a much better life experience at a public school, especially after watching the Four Corners report and what was going on at the Opus Day schools. <laughs> Just terrible. Anyway, before we get on to what was going on in those schools, just a little bit of background. Of course, Dominic Perrottet, New South Wales Premier, is, is known as an Opus Day member. He went to one of the schools in question. and But, you know, it's not necessarily going to get any better if you get the Labor Party in at the next election because Chris Minns voted against voluntary assisted dying laws and is a devout and overt Roman Catholic. So he may not be Opus Day, but he's a fairly strong Roman Catholic, which yes. is kind of what Opus Day is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're just an even more extreme version of Catholicism, aren't they? Yes, that's right. And apparently, we'll get into it, but one of the sort of things about Opus Day is, is secrecy and not letting people know you are a member of Opus Day is kind of one of the things they're into. So... It's possible. Possible Chris Minns is one and wouldn't even let it on. So so I did a little little bit of Wikipedia research. So it was the easiest research, obviously, to do, but it's worth just a quick look at with Opus Day because everyone would think of it from the Da Vinci novel. Did you ever see that one, Joe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read them and mm. I, I was fairly sure Opus Day was a... <sighs> was, it, was it Angels and Demons or was it the other one? I don't know. It's uh, the one with the albino the guy. The, the albino guy was into self-flagellation and some crazy stuff, which didn't cast I, a good light on Opus Day. I think Day. that's Angels and Demons. Mm. So that's when they sort of came to the public notice to some extent. But founded in Spain in 1928, so not that long ago. Oh, okay. By a Catholic priest, and he gave it the name Opus Day, which in Latin means work of God. So that's why the followers, when they're talking about their what they do, refer to it as the work, for the work of God. So in 2018, there were 95,000 members worldwide. About 70% of members live in their own homes, living family lives with secular careers. And the other 30% are celibate. And the majority of those live in Opus Dei centres. Mm. We'll get onto one of those in a kind moment. Kind of like the Sea Org, really. Yes, there's there's a number of similarities with the Org and the Scientology. Mm. Yeah, there is. So in 2022, Pope Francis issued an apostolic letter, which seems to have reduced the influence of Opus Dei within the Catholic Church. One of the central features of the theology is the belief that everyone should aspire to be a saint. And it stresses the importance of work and professional competence. Opus Dei exhorts its members and all lay Catholics to find God in daily life and perform their work excellently as a service to society and as a fitting offering to God. That's got a bit of the Pentecostalism in it to me, is this work it's really Pentecostalum. hard. Yeah, 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 but the Pentecostals are all... It's all about believing in Jesus and it doesn't matter what works you do. Well, under 
technically under Pentecostalism, if you are successful in life, it's yeah. because God has favoured you, not because of what you've done yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a work sign hard for that yourself, God, not work a, hard for others. Yeah, yeah, and it's a sign that God has favoured you if you are yes. successful. But people have bastardised that and and have decided, well, if I work really hard, then God will favour me. Like mm. even though the doctrine is strictly the other way around, they've reverted it. So they're quite hard working. And that whole Methodist thing that it springs from is very hard working. Yeah. But I, I think the Catholic is you your good works for other people is what yes. saves you. Yes. Which is not the case in the Protestants. Correct. It's a more selfish yes. one. But it, there is this emphasis on work and career and climb the ladder and, and mm -hmm. become an important man. It's definitely part of it. So so that's part of Opus Day. And what else is part of their practice? Public attention is focused on their practice of mortification, the voluntary offering up of discomfort or pain to God. And this includes fasting, self-flagellation, sleeping without a pillow or sleeping on the floor. So they're into that sort of stuff. I mean, just good old-fashioned Catholic suffering taken to another level. Masochism. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the, the Filipinos nail themselves to crosses, don't they? Yes, yeah. So it's, 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 it's a feature of Catholicism but taken to another level. So critics state that Opus, Bay, Opus Dei is ex intensively secretive. For example, members generally do not disclose their affiliation with Opus Dei in public. And under the 1950 Constitution, members were expressly forbidden to reveal themselves without the permission of their superiors. Mm. Opus yeah, Dei I never reveal myself. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's because you're a Mason, isn't, uh, it? You, isn't that it? No. Because uh, apparently you have to have a belief in a higher power to be a Mason. Yeah, I've been accused of being deceptive and its aggressive recruiting practices and instructing numeraries to form friendships and attend social gatherings explicitly for recruiting purposes. This is very much the Sea Org sort of feel about it. And critics allege that they maintain an extremely high degree of control over members. For instance, past rules required numeraries to submit their incoming and outgoing mail to their superiors for inspection. And members are forbidden to read certain books without permission from their superiors. And critics charge that Opus Dei pressures numeraries to sever contact with non-members, including their own families. Sounds very cult-like, Joe. Yeah, I mean, the, the not reading books mm. sounds very much like Scientology with the don't, don't look on the internet. Mm. Everything is out to change your mind, warp your mind mm. and just deconvert you. And controlling your information flow and... Yep, sounds pretty nasty. So anyway, on to the Four Corners report. Yes. So there's stories from – did you see it at all? No, I've mm. heard about it but I've yet yeah. to see it. Stories from dozens of former students at Tangara, which is the girls' school, and Redfield College, the boys' school. So they're both small but powerful Catholic schools. Interviews with 30 alumni conducted by Four Corners revealing disturbing practices – Students say, these are particularly the girls, we're talking about this in there. Seem to be more girls were interviewed on the show. Students have say they were told watching pornography causes holes in the brain. 
and they're actually showing them pictures of brain scans and told, see those marks there? That's all holes caused by watching pornography. It sounds like the whole no-fat movement. They, mm-hmm. they use the pseudoscience. Right. Anyway, these girls did their own Googling and found the exact same pictures mm-hmm. on the internet and the dark patches that they were referring to as holes in the brain were just normal parts of the brain that appeared dark on a scan, like there was just nothing unusual about it at all. These people are just... Funnily enough, it's not true, Joe. It, uh, pornography doesn't cause holes in the brain, it seems. People lying to instil guilt around sexual pleasure do shock me. Yes. And uh, what else? Oh, this one, Joe. Girls were discouraged from getting the life-saving HPV cervical cancer vaccine. Like actively discouraged. Yeah, the yeah. ones who got it were shamed. The girls and their parents say they were told it would promote promiscuity and they were expected to marry as virgins. So they didn't. There have been huge culture wars in the States about this. Mm. So this is going on. Notice the girls were expected to marry as virgins. Yes. Yes. Well, yes. in the argument about the vaccine, it's only girls who get that vaccine, isn't it? One of the girls no, pointed out. It's boys and girls now. Do they? Mm. Ah, is it really? Okay, I believe one so. of the girls. One of the girls pointed out. Well, I might get it from my husband. Yeah. So that had a fair. No, no. Um, my understanding is that whilst it's rare that it's penile cancer, you get throat and mouth cancer. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So what else was in there? Oh, pages in the curriculum were ripped out or redacted from textbooks. Homophobia was rife, and there were persistent attempts to recruit school students to Opus Day. So, gosh, send your kid to an Opus Day school and they might get recruited. Anyway, former students say their schooling was left with psychological damage. Like, I really feel sorry for these poor kids Hmm. who don't get any say in it. And there was one guy who was gay and had a terrible time, obviously, locked himself in the toilet most of his days there just so he wouldn't get... Abused by people. It would have been horrendous, the poor bugger. Let's see. Schools affiliated with Opus Dei are independent schools, Joe, run outside the Catholic education system. The funding for the girls' school in 2021 reached $5 million from state and federal governments. Yeah, but think how much money they saved the taxpayer in state (laughs) schools. And Redfield received $2.7 million from the Commonwealth, 850 from New South Wales, you know. Oh, goodness sake, just yeah, pouring the, the money gov- into these. The government would have spent at least $500,000 to educate them in a state school. Yeah. I always tell people about this with Goulburn and, you know, Mother Mary Celeste closing the schools because of the threat mm. from the government the government the said, you've got to close this school because the toilets are unacceptable. And she said, well, if you force me to close this school, I'm going to close all of the schools in Goulburn and you won't have time to rebuild other schools and Goulburn will be in a mess. And so that's when they caved in, provided some money for the toilet and then that was the thin edge of the wedge that led to the situation we're in now. where 40% of mm. students going to private schools. Yeah, and what I say to people is that the amount that is paid to those private schools in Goulburn now per head Mm -hmm. is almost exactly what is paid per head 
to the private school, to the state school per head in Goulburn. So that just gives it perspective. Oh, we're, not, more. we're not saving money by paying these people. No, we, so. we're usually paying more. Mm. The other question I've got is government gives them money to build a new, I don't know, a sports hall mm. uh, and the school shuts down. Mm. Who owns the building? Right. Did the school shut down? No, 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 I'm, I'm not saying mm. that. But what, what I'm happen? saying is what oh. will happen, so oh. this is... It'll belong which, to the, it belongs to the school. It belongs to the school, which is then sold off as a private thing that the church owns. Yes. Yes. So we build all this infrastructure, but at the end of the day, we are funding private churches mm. who own that infrastructure. Yeah. There, there's no clause as far as I know that says if you cease to function as a business all of your assets transfer to the state? No, there wouldn't be. No. Under an Iron Fist government, we would just reclaim that. Don't worry about it, Joe. Oh, absolutely. We should resume mm. them. Mm. All, all uh, private schools should be resumed. Mm. We're so radical. And the same mm. with uh, medical facilities. Mm. Not a hospital. Yeah. Where they're refusing to allow women to have an IUD. Yeah. Unless um, it's... Clearly for a hormonal it, reason rather than if you, birth control. If, if you saw the post and you haven't done anything, go off and sign the Parliament Queensland Parliament petition. Yes, I did see that. I haven't signed it yet. Get on to it. Yeah, I was away down the coast, which is why I didn't right. podcast last week. So, yeah, sign petition. Sign we'll petition. Put that, we'll put that in the show notes. There'll be a link about signing a petition. About It was on the Facebook page as well. Yeah, okay. Just a little bit more on these guys, Opus Day. Asilis is also known as a sackcloth, originally a garment or undergarment made of coarse cloth or animal hair, a hair shirt. So the Opus Day members are big on wearing uncomfortable things. And so one of the things that they they do in the Opus Day, particularly the women, is... They wear a, a sort of a chain of metal spikes around their upper thigh to cause discomfort. And it's an interesting story I found from the Daily Art Mail from quite a while ago, 10 years ago or something like that. But it reads, she's a respectable and intelligent, so why does Sarah attach a painful barbed chain to her leg for two hours a day? Sarah Cassidy is the sort of no-nonsense, capable woman you might expect to find as a headmistress of a primary school. But she doesn't do children and she doesn't do husbands either. She's 43, single, celibate, determined to remain so, and each night she fastens a wire chain known as a cilus around her upper thigh. It's got sharp prongs that dig into her skin and flesh, although well, usually doesn't draw blood. So she's, she's a member of Opist. <laughs> yes. She's obviously a member of Opus Day, and so in a bid to correct false impressions, Sarah agreed to meet with the journalist to discuss what it is that attracts women like her to such an austere group. And uh, this woman says... She was brainwashed as a child. Well, she was actually quite normal and ended up going to an all-girls school and got indoctrinated. So every evening, just before she does the washing up, Eileen straps her strand of 
barbed wire around her leg and leaves it there for two whole hours, scratching at her skin. Joe, it sounds like agony, but she insists it's less painful than a bikini wax. And besides, How would she the, know? Well, obviously gets bikini waxes, or did. Why, though? She's celibate. Well, doesn't mean she doesn't want to get a bikini wax and be celibate, Joe. Yeah. She says it's an easy way of knowing you're doing penance. She says, if I go swimming, I don't want to leave a mark from where it has been. So she wears it quite high up on the thigh. <sighs> These people are crazy, Joe. She finds the fasting more difficult than the wearing of the chain. Mm. Finally, at the end, it says, quote, My parents hated me joining Opus Day. I think they, they'd have been happier if I ran away and joined the gypsies. They thought I was joining a cult. They were terrified, absolutely terrified. Oh, I would right. agree with their parents. <laughs> yes. Your daughter said, I'm going to run off with the gypsies or I'm going to run off with the Opus Day. You'd, which one do you prefer? You'd, you'd say the gypsies in a heartbeat, wouldn't you? Yeah, but yeah. seems a very weird quote anyway, a very racist quote. Yeah. Join the circus, I'd be fine with that. Yeah. Anyway, that's Opus Day. Women of the world, it doesn't get any better in Florida. So actually, uh, just on the chat, we've got Alison says the petition is by a doctor that you'll be signing when you get to the link. And yeah, yeah. I'm, I think it was a doctor working in the health system that mm, was shocked. Probably just so pissed off by it. Mm. And hello, Bronwyn. Bronwyn says sackcloth shirt sounds like something out of the devil's playground. If you've ever seen that film, that was what we were talking about earlier. Yeah, right? I've yeah. not seen the film. But. Okay. Florida, Joe, mm. did you send me this one? You've sent me no. a few. So the Florida High School Athletics Association said student athletes should be required to give detailed information about their periods when they register to play. The FHSAA announced in October it was changing its annual physical form for student-athletes to a digital version. And this form included optional but detailed questions about students' menstruation cycles, including when they got their first period, when they had their most recent, how many weeks passed between periods. And previously, there was only one page of the paper which a paediatrician would sign off to say a student was allowed to play. Now this whole electronic form will be submitted to a school and despite widespread public outcry, even in Florida, Joe, there would be outcry about this, the FHSAA panel decided on Tuesday to stand by the change but also recommended that the menstrual history questions be made mandatory. That's important. Got, got to know when the... When the breeders are breeding. Yeah. Well, in the article it says it's unclear why a school needs to know all that information. Under his eye. Mm. I don't see why school districts need that type of access to information, said this paediatric endocrinologist. Now, Joe, since the fall of Roe v Wade, people have been hypervigilant about third parties tracking menstrual data. Yeah, a lot of women with menstrual tracking apps have deleted them. Yes, because if you've got an app that tracks your menstrual cycle you fall pregnant accidentally, decide to head interstate to get a, mm -hmm. a termination and somebody reports you and the police confiscate, confiscate your phone, look at the app data, find out 
in fact you were pregnant and we'll use it as proof that you were pregnant and charge you with a breach of the law for terminating a pregnancy. So, yep. so now people are thinking, well, if I fill in this form and it goes to a school and it's a private organisation, it could be subject to some sort of subpoena. subpoena and that information could end up in a court somewhere. I think it's more aimed at forbidding transgender girls from playing on sports teams. Could be. Could be. I would, I would suggest that that's much more along the lines. Mm. For the moment? For the moment. Until, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. sure. Look, time any information is tracked, mm. police, and not just police, it will end up getting subpoenaed for a court case. Yes. There was, yeah, tollway, toll roadways in America are getting subpoenaed for travel information to prove travel of a spouse for a divorce case proving that he went to see his mistress on this toll road at this oh, time. Oh, really? Yeah. Ah, okay. They don't yeah, have um, no-fault divorce over there, by the sounds of it. Yeah, and, you know, we've seen in Queensland with the go-karts, mm-hmm. if you see the number of police requests per year, and it's not serious cases, it's not this person might have been involved in a murder. This right. is whatever there, there were something like 10,000 requests a year. It's a ridiculous number. Right. Yeah, yeah. And any time that your data is tracked, it will end up getting mis- misused. Mm. Anyway, young ladies in Florida have every reason to be concerned <laughs> yes. and about what's going to happen there because Florida, after all, has banned abortion after 15 weeks. It's also forbidden transgender girls from playing on girls' sports and has banned state residents from using Medicaid to pay for gender-affirming treatments. So There was also the Don't Say Gay bill, wasn't there, Florida? Was it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, can't keep track of everything in there. So, Well, it's where Donald Trump resides and feels comfortable. So it seems to be the heartland of the Republican, the current Republican leadership, DeSantis, the Florida yeah, DeSantis, governor. DeSantis, yeah. Is, Probably going to be the next Republican presidential candidate. It's been a swing state, though, because George Bush, the son, mm-hmm. almost lost Florida in 2000, and it was Jeb Bush who won, got okay. declared. Fox, I think, declared it. And mm-hmm. after they declared it, they just went, oh, well, fuck it, we're giving up. And, right. and Bush was the president. Now, this is the moment Al Gore conceded. Yes. And then as the votes numbers came in, he said he had to ring up and say, actually, I'll withdraw my concession, I think. And then it went all the way to the High Court. Mm, Yeah. Anyway, I think it's turned even more red since then. Yeah, I mean, it was always the retirement state. Yeah. You you moved down to get away from the harsh winters. Yeah. Crazy thing about American politics, the Republicans being the red colour as well. Yeah, it's always weird. Yeah. They've always got to do things differently. Backwards, you okay. mean? Yes. <laughs> but, Joe, as I, as I wander around life, Joe, and I mm-hmm. come across people, I reckon there's a type that I'm finding. It's an amalgamation of people I know. But you're having discussions with people and invariably I find that if they kick off a topic of concern about wokeness, or trans mm-hmm. people, if they kick that off as a topic out of the blue, 
it just if somebody's prepared to do that, I reckon I can list a number of other possible beliefs features and beliefs that they hold in common with that one belief. And mm-hmm. not all of them, but a fair number of them. And so uh, and express, also what media they absorb. <laughs> indeed, that's that too. Yes. So if they express an anti-woke sentiment that they sort of volunteer, I would say nearly always they're a conservative voter. Mm-hmm. I would say they have a very much an anti-government view of life, preferring small government, get out of my way. You know, we're taxed too high and there's too much red tape and government regulation. Government just small enough to fit through your bedroom keyhole. That's it. Throw in there sort of anti-lockdown, anti-trans, bit of climate change scepticism, not necessarily outright denial, but, you know, it's all a bit overstated and it's all a bit overworked and an exaggeration. And can we use carbon capture and storage instead? Yep. Just carry on burning this coal because, you know, that clean coal is just around the corner. Yep. Or nuclear. Yeah. Actually, actually, if I was in Europe, I'd probably be pro-nuclear. Just for Australia, I'm definitely not. Nuclear. Get yes. it right. Nu- nuclear, yes. Would they say nuclear? Would they? Or did I just say it? No, 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 no. I just generally the sort of people who are pro-nuclear say oh. nuclear. Oh, okay. Probably renewable energy scepticism. Of course, anti-China, pro-America. Possibly pro-cryptocurrency and anti-the voice. You know, a lot of things will be ticked off if I just hear sort of an anti-wake sentiment. And I run this as an experiment now, dear listener, where I just sort of throw these out there and just see where people are positioned on these topics. Run your own experiment and tell me how it goes. (laughs) So, because, Joe, what you're ending up with, I actually, before I go on, no, I won't do that. This is going to interfere. There's a clip that's, yeah, it's okay. I think I've played it before. But what what I'm terming this sort of person would be a boomer libertarian, the summary sort of catch-all phrase for the sort of person who comes to mind that I... It's, it's the circles you mingle in. Yes. Well, I'm on the cusp, Joe. I was born in 1964, depending on what mm-hmm. you, what Subscribe data to. you look at. I could be a boomer or I could be just off. But mm-hmm. given my father was in the war and I was, you know, probably, you know, the boomers were traditionally children born as the soldiers returned. Returned soldiers, yes. Yes, the booming population. And my dad was a returned soldier. I probably am a boomer mm-hmm. uh, in that sense. But that doesn't allow, that means I can still criticise. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, so yeah, a boomer libertarian, Joe. It's and all of those things that I just listed as features kind of all can circle back to individual freedom as a core belief, concept, ideology, if you like, of of being very pro individual freedom. So a boomer libertarian. Here's my. This is all a theory, dear listener. I love theories, as you know. So a boomer libertarian would think that the foundation of successful Western liberal democracies is based on freedom, and so when they look at issues, they look at it through the prism of individual freedom. 
So just getting back to their thinking on the foundations. So they would say that the Enlightenment was spawned by individual freedom. Free rational men used the scientific method to overturn superstitious thinking and enable a secular morality where individuals are free to pursue their own interests and lead lifestyles of choice, not the predetermined and superstitiously constrained lives of previous eras. And I don't have a lot to disagree with there. That is a feature of the Enlightenment was Mm -hmm. the abandonment of superstition and, if you like, a new ability, an awareness of figuring things out. It was the ability to challenge dogma. Hmm. Yeah. So I don't disagree that that was a feature of the Enlightenment and that, yeah, individual freedom definitely a good thing in that respect and an important thing to happen. But I think a a boomer libertarian will also think the same freedom has enabled rational, self-interested individuals to compete and innovate in a competitive market economy. And it is this freedom which the West has encouraged which has led to the economic success of the West. So I think a boomer libertarian thinks individual freedom was a, a major factor in the sort of economic success of the West. And I've got a few comments to make about that because, well, it might have been freedom for the, for the white few. people. <laughs> mm. There's a lot of, it came at the expense of the freedom of a lot of brown people, for starters. Well, but, and not well, just brown people. I mean... Yeah. Or any white people, Irish people and whatever, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Of, well, I mean, the, the, the poor in any nation. Indeed. In, indeed. Yeah, all, all this, oh, yeah, it's the white. It's it's not. It was the 1% of the whites who did very nicely out of it. Yes. Yes. There's yeah. a lot of people who did not enjoy a lot of freedom in that whole yeah, exactly. experience. Yeah. So for the boomer libertarian, individual freedom is the basis of our morality and our economy. And they would think that successful countries are invariably democracies, free voters of elected leaders who protect individual freedom and run governments that stay out of people's lives. That's the way it should be. But on the other hand, dysfunctional countries are invariably run by dictators or communists. And if they claim to be democracies, then their elections are sham elections. And dysfunctional economies have not developed because individuals have not been allowed the freedom to drive the economy forward. Also, their oppressed people are unhappy because they crave the freedom to vote like Westerners, to be socially liberated like Westerners, and to run businesses like Westerners. And if they don't crave these things, that's because they're victims of tyrannical propaganda. This is an all-encompassing generalisation of my boomer libertarian. I'll go on. So the boomer libertarian judges every moral quandary with a set of scales that weighs only the impact on individual freedom. The government, bad, obviously. Tax, bad, obviously. Defence spending, good. It will protect us from foreigners who want to take away our freedom. Juvenile crime, lock them up, Joe, to protect the freedom to own property. Mandatory lockdowns, bad. Mandatory masks, bad. It's all very anti-freedom. Mandatory vaccinations, anti-freedom. COVID scepticism is part of this. 
partly based on motivated reasoning to justify opposition to mandatory laws. So that's part of COVID scepticism. But mixed in with that is the individual's right to do your own research and have your own, the freedom to have your own scientific theory, Joe, if you want one, and not be duped by the prevailing orthodox view. Mm. Well, you know, they laughed at Galileo. Yes. Renewable energy and restrictions on fossil fuels, fuels, they would say bad, obviously will result in less freedom. Can't drive my gas-guzzling car. And woke also, they don't like that because that restricts the freedom of the individual to say whatever they like. China, that's bad because the Chinese people are probably fine but their leaders are evil and they just want to invade and take our freedom. The Chinese would rise up and revolt if they could. Anyone not wanting to revolt for freedom is a victim of propaganda and the Chinese government obviously is itching to invade and take away our freedom. So they're bad. Cardinal Pell, Joe, to well, be defended. He, he was found not guilty by the High Court, yeah. wasn't he? Yes. A, a, a boomer libertarian would be inclined to defend Cardinal Pell as much as is socially acceptable. The system tried to jail him on old, uncorroborated testimony. Pell may be unlikable, but freedom apostles see this as an opportunity to emphasise the principle of protecting individual freedom from unjust court proceedings. I have seen that in online commentary. The libertarian boomer, Joe, is particularly resentful of young female leaders, Jacinda Ardern, Greta Thunberg. No, 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 you made a typo there. Great Thunberg you've got. Have I? <laughs> yes. Oh, I'll fix that. Joe, that, that's the other thing. If I'm just testing where people stand on issues, you know, when I was talking before about just feeling the waters with people, and and if they say something that's a little bit anti-wokeism, I can pick what I think are going to be the, all these characteristics. The other one would be, what do you reckon I have Greta Thunberg? <laughs> and if you get a strong anti-Greta Thunberg, you'll pick up a lot of those features that I've just mentioned, all part and parcel. Well, it's the, the Jacinda Ardern, and it's like yeah. I might have Problems with one or two things of hers. Yes. Like wearing the hijab. Hijab to the yeah. funeral. Mm. Which I get the the political the, the expediency or solidarity oh, with Yeah, compassion. Yeah. Mm. But but I think you were not being yeah, you weren't showing solidarity to those people who are forced into that oppression. Yes. You've so, got issues with her, she's not a saint. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But but there's a particular thing, I think, where people, it, and it's driven by the Murdoch press, yeah. where they really, really dislike young women telling old men what to do. Yeah, <laughs> because but, what um, it is. I, and, I, I spoke to someone the other day and they were saying, oh, yeah, everyone's moving out of Victoria up to Queensland because they 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 were moving prior to dictator Dan getting back in because they couldn't face another term of his right yes uh, and yeah i don't think they were moving because of the political regime mm. and in fact from what i've seen it was it's new south wales people moving up to queensland not victorians mm. so so this real issue they have with young female Jacinda Ardern and Greta Thunberg i, I can't really Link that to this whole freedom theory I've got, but it's just part of a, 
I, I don't really have a freedom link to it. I've only just got a Murdoch link to it where they are. Yeah, well, I was just thinking about yes, which, of course, the, the courier fail invariably bags her out. Yeah. But I don't see much nationally about her. No. No. I'm going to get on to Jacinda. We're going to do a fair bit on Jacinda mm. Ardern and the response to her resignation. So that's coming up. But they are happy to have a youngish female leader in Jacinta Nerpijimpa Price giving her opinion about the voice. Obviously, yes. it's a topic that they agree with her on. I guess they're happy to have one around who they agree with. But they just are particularly nasty to an opposition figure that is young and female telling old white men what to do, I think. So and I can't really link it to freedom, but it just it's one of the sort of other common features that you see mixed in with this whole thing. So so that's the boomer libertarian. That's what they think and why they think. And I would say a couple of things is was the foundation of successful Western liberal democracies really based on freedom. And I would say that the freedom of thought, which allowed people to discard superstition, was obviously a good thing. But there's a big difference between freedom of thought and freedom of action. Freedom of action involves the rights of others and trade-offs will apply. You can't speed 100 kilometres an hour in a residential zone. I, I just think NHS mm. as a... A brilliant collective socialist thing. Yes. That was bought in by one of the huge powerhouses of Europe. Mm. And although it's been stripped to a shadow of its former self. Yeah. Was just one of those things where the collective good was deemed to be far more important. Mm. The London Olympics, in the either opening or closing ceremony, one of them heavily featured dancers and whatever, pushing hospital beds around mm -hmm. and patients as a homage to the national health system. That's how important and how proud the Brits were of Absolutely. the system that it was was part of the ceremony for the Olympic Games. So, so, so what the Boomer Libertarian has done has taken the importance of the freedom of thought from the Enlightenment but, but hasn't and has wanted to apply it to a freedom of action in a without a sense of social responsibility and a sense of give and take in terms of actions that people do for a successful civilization. So yes, you're free to think whatever you like, but when it comes to doing stuff, there are other people's rights get involved then. And a libertarian boomer is just freedom, 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 enlightenment. And I would say, well, you can have all the freedom of thought you like, but when it comes to freedom of action, there's other people to consider. So the other thing is that the connection between individual freedom and economic prosperity is not as strong as libertarian boomers would think. And much economic progress was at the expense of brown people's freedom or working class white people. Mm. Much technological progress was the result of government-funded collective research. Absolutely. Um, the Soviets. Even in the US. Yeah, yes. So the Soviets were the first to put somebody into orbit and even in the US, for those of you who have – if you're only new to this podcast, you may never have heard of Mariana Mazzucato. She wrote a book 
She's written various books. Um, mm. The Entrepreneurial State is one of them. She's really one of the leading economic thinkers in the world. They're on my to-read list. Mm. She's up there with Yanis Varoufakis and, and Michael Hudson. So she wrote a book and I'll just divert briefly because this is a really important argument for people who have never heard it before and who think that it was private enterprise or it is private enterprise that is responsible for the wonderful innovative gadgets that we have in the world mm-hmm. and governments have to get out of the way. And in her book... She made a list of 12 key technologies that make smartphones work. One, tiny microprocessors. Two, memory chips. Three, solid-state hard drives. Four, liquid crystal displays. Five, lithium-based batteries. That's the hardware. Uh, Six, fast Fourier transform algorithms. Number seven, the internet. Number eight, HTTP and HTML. Nine, cellular networks. Ten, Global Positioning System, or GPS. Number 11, the touchscreen. And number 12, Siri, voice-activated artificial intelligence. All of these are technologies important in what makes an iPhone or any smartphone. And she assembled this list and reviewed their history and found something striking. And the foundational figure in the development of the iPhone wasn't Stephen Jobs. It was Uncle Sam. Every single one of the 12 key technologies was supported in significant ways by governments, often the American well, government. Yeah, I mean, so Wi-Fi is regularly claimed to have been invented by CSIRO. Yes, yeah, yep. And, of course, Hedy Lamar was involved in frequency-hopping radios. Okay. She was one of the names on the patent. Hedy Lamar, where have I heard that name from? Actress, Second yes. World War. Fairly okay. sure it was Hedy. It was it was a female actress of nineteen forties era, and she was also a physicist. And her name is on the patent for frequency hopping radios, which is what modern GSM and whatever else use. There you go. Yeah. Did she do that working for the government, or she did that in private enterprise? Not sure. I think it was part of the war effort. Okay. And so it was at been, least it would have been funded by the government. Yeah, she would have been part of the Defence Department of some yeah. sort. Yeah, yeah. So, look, the boomer libertarian forgets that ultimately we're a social species and a cooperative group will win over a group of selfish individuals. So, yeah, so that's the boomer libertarian theory that I'm working on. Think of when you're approaching somebody new in a dinner party situation, not on a boat where you're trapped and you can't get off, up to 24 hours. Just try the, uh, if you hear a sniff of anti-wokeism, just explore some of these topics and and just throw Greta Thunberg out there and see how people react to that and uh, see how it goes. Right, Jacinta Price. So, Joe, I'm going to have problems as we get to the arguments about the voice because mm. – because my, I'm opposed to it, but my reasoning is quite different to the, the people you hear about, like Jacinta Price, in terms of the reasoning. Before we'll get onto her reasoning, there's a clip of her talking about, she was at the Institute of Public Affairs giving a speech. And now I skipped that other one. Let me just find this video and bring this up because. 
this is the kind of thinking that we get from so you know some of the things she says you know obviously not always wrong about everything some of the things she says are, i think quite right but anyway just for a bit of fun have a listen to jacinta nappajimpa price here we go and of course lachlan murdoch whose family have provided a beacon of light in a sea of woke darkness via the necessary media platforms that deliver genuine common sense and fact-driven news reporting for our benefit. What, what, planet, what planet was... She said it all with a straight face. That's the impressive thing. <laughs> that, that, that was... <laughs> Honestly. And where do you go to from there? Where do you go to from there? She's gone down in your estimation, has she? Has she not gone down in every, you know, no matter how low she was in your estimation, dear listener, she had to have dropped another yeah, couple think, of Yeah, I think pegs. that's right, Bronwyn. <laughs> Bronwyn's given us the vomit emoji. What? What? Crikey. That's just, ugh. Anyway, um, yes, yeah, so a beacon of light in a sea of woke darkness via the necessary media platforms that deliver genuine Common sense, fact-driven news reporting for our benefit. Oh, thank you, Lachlan. Oh, dear, oh dear. You know, the ABC is not much better, Joe. There's no. a guy, Bruce Haig, who I've often quoted on the, from the John Menadue blog, former diplomat, straight shooter, like interesting guy, well qualified. He was going to be on the drum with ABC on a panel and uh, because of lobbying by Gerard Henderson of the IPA and a compliant producer at the drum, who he describes as of less than average ability, he was booted from the drum and replaced with Greg Sheridan. Uh, Graham Hat. As if we haven't all heard Greg Sheridan saying the same five things completely wrong for the last 15 years and he just keeps getting trotted out onto these ABC panels. He must just laugh to himself that they keep inviting him onto their panels to... Or possibly he's clueless to not realise he's there because... Yeah. The ABC is scared of being accused of bias. Yeah. He was a big fan of Jim Molan who passed away. Jim Mullen, former Another name. soldier, former senator, and dear listener, I have a very close, very good friend who has worked very closely with Jim Mullen in the military, and I can assure you Jim Mullen was not a smart man and he was as thick as two planks, did not understand anything. He was not fluent in Indonesian as is claimed in the papers. He could barely order a meal at a restaurant and in military high level military meetings where they were doing sort of war gaming against the americans some some people of equal rank to him just tore strips off him as being so stupid he didn't know what he was doing he would have been despised by angus houston he was not the military marvel that greg sheridan 
wouldn't want you to believe. So, yeah, not that you want to speak ill of the dead, but you can speak honestly. Speak ill of the living because they can see you for indeed. Indeed, so you only get the chance when they're dead. Exactly. And I've waited a suitable time. So, yeah, lots of good stories from my friends, some of which I can't go into. But, yeah, and, and, you know, he was in the right place at the right time in terms of convincing the Indonesian military to get out and let Australia help the East Timorese. But anyone could have done it. The, the, the military were not hanging around. They knew Australia would kick their butt if they needed to. And mm-hmm. so it wasn't a great piece of statesmanship we're just lucky Molan didn't muck it up is probably how to think of it. So oh, there we go. That's a bit of a bagging of Jim Molan, but provide some. Right, Joe, don't, yeah, just back to Jacinta Nappy Jimper Price and the voice before we get on to Jacinda Ardern. And actually, Roman says, why do we not want to speak ill of the dead, even if they deserve it? This came up in relation to Pell also. That's true. And, well, Read between the lines, Bromman. I obviously did want to speak ill of the dead and I put on a facade of politeness. But I was itching to say it, wasn't I? Anyway. And as for Pal, fuck Pal. Yeah. The voice, just before we move off that topic altogether, you know, you see online where people have pushed back against the prevailing orthodox view of being pro-voice. Well, in the sort of leftish circles that I'm observing and... They're getting attacked as a racist pretty quickly. And there was a clip which I, an old clip, I've just got a little part of it, which was talking about Brexit and also talking about Donald Trump and how... Oh, the basket of the deplorables. Yes. And how the left, just calling people who disagree, disagree with racist... Isn't going to help. No, because all you get is people who go, well, I've already been called a racist. I might as well go the whole hog. Indeed. So so this is a bit from a previous clip, but it's worth for showing that sort of idea. Here we go. I mean, first of all, Brexit. What the fuck happened there? Well, the left employed a cunning two-prong strategy by, one, calling every Leave voter a racist, and two, failing to put forward a positive case for Remain. Yeah. Right. Weird how not engaging 17 million Brits and slacking them off instead didn't win them over. But at least yelling RACIST online made us feel good about ourselves and had no bad long-lasting side effects. The UK has voted to leave the European Union. Ah, shit. Well, don't worry. After Brexit, we learnt our lesson. And then the US election came along and we thought, nah, let's just do that again. You could put... Half of Trump's supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. Not surprisingly, the left's campaign of vote for us, you pieces of shit, didn't pan out so well. Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh. But don't worry, it's not just the big battles. The left are totally useless on a small scale as well. This is largely thanks to the foul brick of nightmares. Yeah. Vote for the voice, you useless pieces of shit. I think, I think that's... Unfortunately, part of what will happen in the upcoming debate. So, yes, Bronwyn, a rhetorical question. So, so yeah, Joe's back. Vote for us, you useless pieces of shit, is is possibly the – vote for the voice, you useless racist pieces of shit, mm. is possibly one tactic that's going to be deployed and likely to be unsuccessful. So we'll see how that all pans out. 
And then they'll be shocked that they've lost the vote. Yes. And blame it on, yeah, they'll sit and just blame it on racists. Yeah. So, right, Jacinda Ardern decided to pull up stumps early instead of hanging around for 20 or 30 years, decided I've had enough, said essentially she'd run out of gas and energy to do the job and wanted to move on. Mm. Completely understandable. Uh, in that position. You could only keep at that pace for so long. And and she got her fair share of death threats and, and nasty comments that she would have to deal with as well. So that sort of things would not have been helpful. But Tony Martin tweeted and he showed a uh, two headlines or, or two sort of spreads from the Australian newspaper. So one of which was talking about Jacinda Ardern saying, Empty end for the saint of the left. Queen of woke leaves chaos in her wake. That was their headlines of Jacinda Ardern. Meanwhile, the headline on George Pell, God's strong man. <laughs> this, is the, this is the same newspaper Jacinda, that uh, Jacinda Nappy Dipper Price was, was yeah. praising for its even-handed approach to facts and that absolutely scathing of Jacinda Ardern and I was going to say strangely so supportive of George Pell, but it's it's not strange, is it, unfortunately? So completely different approaches. Tony Cock, who was a former News Corp journalist, said News Corp drones lining up to slag off at Jacinda Ardern, one of the world's great leaders. They disliked this wonderful woman because she would never allow disgusting News Corp vomit posing as newspapers into New Zealand. Look forward to US, UK and Australia following her great lead. There's no evidence for that. Like, there is nothing actually stopping News Corp from buying newspapers or running media in New Zealand. They just don't for some reason, so... That's not quite true. On Sky News, a quote from Douglas Murray who said, New Zealand's outgoing Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, has a phoniness and a fakeness about her, says author Douglas Murray. Joe, I think you could say negative things about Jacinda Ardern, but phoniness and fakeness? I think you, there's nothing phony or fake about her in the oh, least. I, I, I think she's as on the whole... And, she was a good leader for a country. And, and even if you say she was bad and a whole range of economic yeah. criteria, which we will get into, to say she was phony or fake is completely off the mark. Like, it's nonsense. But that's Douglas Murray for you. He's just a prick. And for those of you who have got a long memory from episode 349, I, at that time saw the rationalists did a piece on Douglas Murray and waxing lyrical about what a wonderful erudite man he was and it was just a pleasure to listen to him. And I was sort of countering that saying, he's just a prick who's speaking nonsense most of the time. And, and he's just a, a partisan for conservative talking points who straw man's left-wing views and tries to present the conservative view as, as the common sense middle path, and he gets away with it because of a lovely posh Etonian accent. 
And so, so yeah, that was an article on The Rationalist praising Douglas Murray and I like to think I've pegged Douglas Murray correctly as a conservative prick and that article where he accuses Jacinda Ardern of fakeness and phoniness added to the evidence list. Talking of libertarian boomers, Landon mm. just says, good evening. <laughs> Hello, Landon. Everyone's there. Mm. So... Good on you. Yeah. And Mike Carlton said, amusing, isn't it? All the hacks, scribblers, babblers now furiously bagging Jacinda Ardern are the same clutch of halfwits who thought Smirko Morrison was God's gift to democracy. So true. Right. I learned a few things about some of the policies they had. Oh, Landon says, don't hate on the posh accent. <laughs> in, a sh- in a shock move, the Ardern-led New Zealand government at some stage announced the repeal of negative gearing which took effect for all future purchases, plus a phase-out plan of five years for existing investment properties. So I never knew that. Joe, did you know that? No. But New Zealand, see how poor our media is. Like, obviously, dear listener, I'm reading a lot of stuff and I had no idea that the New Zealand government had repealed negative gearing for future purchases and had done a phase-out over five years for existing investment properties. Good for them. Very interesting. I mean, but it's, they did... it, it's weird. I, I grew up on a very wealthy island, you know, flat 20% tax, and negative gearing was not a thing. Oh, mm. Sorry, negative gearing for your primary residence was a thing, yep. but not for re- rental investment properties. Yeah. She mixed, it, she mixed it up with another policy, which didn't help. James says, can we helicopter her into a safe Labor seat here? Yeah. Well, she, she'd actually have probably more constituents than she had in New Zealand. Hmm. Yeah. Think, think of politicians we've imported from New Zealand. Barnaby Joyce. I mean, he was a Kiwi, wasn't he? This is the only one I could think of. Yeah. She'd be an improvement on Barnaby. I think she'd... Uh, one of the sheep would be an improvement on Barnaby. Come yeah. on. She just have to remember to renounce her citizenship of New Zealand, take up Australian citizenship, not hold a dual passport, and would fall foul of to, Section Forty Four. Yeah, why would she want to? So, okay, I'm going to give you two competing views on the success of what she was doing economically. One, the first one, is going to be from the Sydney Morning Herald, an opinion piece by Roshina Campbell. Melbourne City Councillor and Conservative Melbourne City Councillor. Antia Dern is the first one. She wrote, Dern was only able to form a government because she was prepared to form a coalition with New Zealand first by agreeing to make Winston Peters her deputy, the Kiwi equivalent of Pauline Hanson's One Nation. I think that's a little bit tough to call Winston Peters Pauline Hanson. Anyway, on the face of it, they were strange bedfellows until you remember Adern was promising if she were elected, Labor would cut immigration by 30,000 people from over 70,000 a year. So, so saying that agreement meant she would cut immigration. Her other policy offering was a promise to tackle housing crisis because she said in opposition, too many families are missing out on buying homes. And in this article, this woman says, in New Zealand's 2018 census, taken six months after Labor came to power, 
showed 64.5% home ownership, lowest level since 1951. In the five years she was in office, she was unable to reverse that and it's predicted to drop to 63.6. So she didn't fix home ownership is the argument. And one reason this person argues was that there was actually an increase in migration. Contrary to the promise, there was more migration under Adern. And there was a program called Kiwi Build, $2 billion scheme meant to deliver 100,000 affordable homes within a decade, five years in and only 1,300 have been built. And data showing that in the first half of last year, New Zealand was demolishing homes at a faster rate than it was building them. So failure of supply, increased demand, turbocharged house prices, there's no land tax or stamp duty, therefore it's all Adern's fault that there was a major property bubble. And also, what else have we got here? At the same time that she scrapped negative gearing, Adern also expanded New Zealand's version of capital gains tax on housing, under which profits on the sale of investment properties are taxed at the seller's marginal income tax rate. So in order to avoid paying capital gains tax, you had it used to be you had to hold it for five years and she said you had to hold it for 10 and that trapped investors who might otherwise have sold it in year six and they thought, oh, geez, now I've got to hold it for 10 years, otherwise I'll pay a capital gains tax. So that might have been a mistake. Anyway, that's the gist of a negative review from that person. And meanwhile, there's a guy called Alan Austin who does talks about economics, and he gives you the opposite version, and I'm going to have to just change screens here so I can just see what I'm doing. Hold on a second. Expand that one out and just get... Oh, there it is there. Bear with me one second while I get this PowerPoint up. Nearly there. Hold on. Okay. Yep. So this is Alan Austin, and he said... Murdoch's wailing old white men scribes get Jacinda Ardern dead wrong again as the world is thanking Jacinda Ardern profoundly for her 14 years. A large number of white male scribes have joined in a frenzy of extraordinary bitter attacks. <coughs> he quotes different quotes from Greg Sheridan and James McPherson and Guy Adams in the Daily Mail where they're railing about Jacinda Ardern. And he says, we now have GDP growth of all 38 wealthy OECD members and New Zealand now ranks fourth, the highest ranking since records have been kept. And there's a chart on the screen showing that for the third quarter, 2022, if you like GDP as a metric, then New Zealand ranked fourth of the 38 OECD member countries. So people bagging her never mention that statistic. And in terms of employment, actually, I'll just see what this chart comes up. Next one. Employment. Jobless rate has been 3.4% or lower since June 2021. And in March 2022, the rate was 3.2%, the lowest since records have been kept. So that's ranked fifth in the OECD. So right at this point in time, New Zealand, fourth in terms of OECD with GDP growth, record in terms of low unemployment and actually fifth in the OECD. 
So, and he says that wages have increased satisfactorily from $30.51 per hour to 37.93. Current inflation in New Zealand, 7.2%, the lower peak of 7.3. This is below the OECD average of 11.6. And healthy budget surpluses in 2017, 2018 and 2019. Obviously, the pandemic recession (coughs) caused a deficit of 7.3%. And he gives figures of how that improved. So, So, yeah, GDP growth really good, unemployment rate, really good, inflation rate, really good comparatively. And even in housing approvals, Sheridan had written, in substance, Dan was a flop. She promised the government would build 100,000 homes. It built barely 1,000. And according to Alan Austin, he looks at Stats NZ and total housing starts have risen in every Adern year and boomed over the last two and there's a graph there showing number of new dwellings approved per year per thousand residents. That's a good graph from the Adern point of view. So it's an example of right-wing Murdoch media will say all things about the Adern government. You can take other figures and paint a completely different picture if you wish. Joe, there are lies, damn lies and statistics and people will manipulate them around as they see fit, but there's a bunch of arguments there for people who want to argue that Adern was a hopeless economic manager. There's a lot of good data there to say, well, possibly not. Right, that was Jacinda Adern. Let me just bring this window back so I can get this thing over here and see what else we've got. Jim Mullen I've already talked about. Are we going for time? 8.50, another 10 minutes or so. Hokies Joe. We spoke about the blight of poker machines in New South Wales a few weeks Mm -hmm. ago. Came across this tweet just about Australian slang and vernacular. In Australia, slot slash fruit machines are known as the pokies, but there are several other slang expressions to describe them. The most colourful ones that I've heard are the bricklayer's laptop, the pensioner's piano, <laughs> and the plumber's PlayStation. Ever heard any of those? No. Right. I mean, the first and the last make sense. I'm not so sure about the middle one. Well, the pensioner's piano. I thought that was the best one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Have you heard the slang for, you know, you get a barbecue chicken from Carl's or Woolies? You know mm-hmm. what that's called? Other than the chirk. No, bachelor's handbag. Ah. I like that one. It's too much for a bachelor to eat on his own. Yeah, well, lunch the next day. Yeah, maybe. Mm. Uh, Stuff from Caitlin Johnston. There's another mass... uh, There's a spate of mass shootings in America again. Oh, Joe, did you see the terrible scene with the young black fellow beaten by policemen. I didn't see it. I figured it was too gruesome to watch, but mm. I heard that it was mm. gruesome. Yes. So... And there have been comments that, yeah, great, they've kicked the police out, but they only kicked them out because they were black. Yes. And had they been white, it would have taken them a lot longer to actually do anything about it. 
quite possibly. I think the evidence is so compelling, even white officers would have been immediately dismissed on this one because there's just a group of them holding this guy up as another guy just lands haymakers on him. Um, mm-hmm. It's... it's and they they shut down the entire police task force that they were members of. Yes. Funny thing is, Joe, you call a task force Operations Scorpion, mm. and and they turn out to be quite violent characters. Maybe next time you have a group, maybe don't call them an aggressive Operation scorpion. Fluffy Teddy Bears. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Hmm. Operation Community Consultants, Operation We're Here to Help, Operation, but just not Operation Scorpio. Scorpio. Operation Martin Luther King. Yes. Apparently the police chief, female black, responsible for that group, had set up a similar group in a different state which had also had behaviour issues. So, yeah, terrible things. I mean... If that sort of stuff had happened in China, they'd just be all over it with the look at those communists and what they do. But this is just an everyday occurrence in Yellow Lives Matter. Yeah. Yeah. Basically there was another mass shooting. Caitlin Johnston found all these quotes by people, famous celebrities, politicians or whatever. Like Pete Butter Butter Cheek? Oh, what's his Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete, what's his Buda what is it? Buta Jig. No, it's no pronounced different to that. Oh, okay. Um, he was a typical one who said, I did, not, I did not carry an assault weapon around a foreign country so I could come home and see them used to massacre my countrymen. And, you know, Caitlin Johnson makes the point, whenever there's a mass shooting with a semi-automatic firearm in the US, you get a tsunami of Democrats falling over themselves to proclaim that those weapons should only be used to kill foreigners. And it's true. Like all these tweets are essentially like Buttigieg's comment was, well, I had one overseas when I was killing foreigners, but I don't want to see them here. Hakeem Jeffries said, weapons of war should be used to hunt... Weapons of war used to hunt human beings have no place in a civilised society. There's another one here is Hillary Clinton said, weapons of war have no place on our streets. Point being from Caitlin is, are you happy to have those weapons in other people's streets overseas. In a war. Yeah, which you're conducting most of the time. And one of them was... Gen- generally they're not aimed at mm. civilians. Well, against the rule, it's against the rules of war <laughs> in, in theory if you were signed up to the Geneva Convention, which of course the Americans aren't, yes. or the UN, U, yeah, UN Court of Human Rights or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. One International. Very... It's the ICJ, isn't it? There's so many things that they're not signed up to. Yeah, yeah, but I mean the the war crimes would be the ICJ. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the acronyms. I don't know. Ba- basically, the Americans have said they won't hold, hand over soldiers to a war crimes tribunal. Ah, uh, okay. Yep. Yep, because they're beyond that. This one, this George Takai, he's the guy, oh, yeah. ex-Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, Sulu. Yes. Quite a presence on social media, like yes. made a career on Twitter, essentially. And his response to the shooting was, <clears throat> crazy thought, but those 20 million AR-15s now in this country could sure arm a lot of Ukrainians. Yes. Yes. This is the thing. 
Well, you don't want them here, but we obviously want them overseas killing other people, but just not here. I think they've got more than enough rifles, though. Yeah. I think Ukrainians want more. Yeah. Aircraft and tanks and mm. bigger, bigger stuff, yeah. Bigger um, boom booms. Yeah. All right. We're close enough to 8.57, Joe, so I'm going to call it on that one. Thanks to everyone in the chat room. I see even Tom the Warehouse guy made it at the end there. So good on you, Tom. Now, is everybody reading The Carbon Club, Joe, made a start? You're Not yet. Right. I've still got my previous book to finish off and I haven't got around to that. So Okay. So you all have to read The Carbon Club because we'll be doing book club at the end of February with that one with Paul. I've about 100 pages into it. It's a damning indictment of John Howard so far. and, and just Shock the, horror. And. And just the clubby atmosphere of these operatives. Yeah. I, mm. James is saying he finished the audiobook over the weekend. I looked. Mm. Unfortunately, it's in the Brisbane City Library, but it's not in Moreton Bay, and I'm in Moreton Bay. Right. Because I looked on whatever the, the, the library lending. Overdrive is the library ebook and audiobook lending service. Okay. So if you are a member of Brisbane City, and if you're not in Moreton Bay, check out whatever your local library is they may have an, uh, a copy available for you to listen to mm. for free. Mm. Very good. So that's your homework, dear listener. Get a version of that somehow. And talk to you next week. Bye for now. And it's a good night from him. <laughs>